This is Amplify, a podcast for people that want to crush life by learning from the minds of high performers. So take a deep breath in and get ready to become more, live more, and give more. Welcome to another episode of the Amplify podcast. I'm your host, John Templeton, and joining me today is George Chanos. Now, George Chanos uh, Esquire served as Nevada's 31st Attorney General. He's also chairman of the 100 plus shop QSR franchise. I hope I pronounced this right, Capriotis, <laughs> an author and a speaker. And we're going to talk a little bit about one of his really uh, cool books during this episode. Mr. Chanos has a common sense approach to dealing with problems and a unique ability to understand and explain complex issues. He also has a clear vision and uncommon insights concerning how anyone, regardless of circumstances, can overcome the challenges they face and go on to design and lead a happy, successful, and meaningful life. Mr. Chanos writes and speaks about what he sees as our collective future. We're going to dive into that today as well. And he offers important insights and advice on how we can reach our individual and collective potential in what promises to be a rapidly and radically changing environment. George, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Nice to be here. So I only, I've only found out about you recently. And as I said, I, I dove into a few um, podcast episodes that you were on this week. And one of the things that really grabbed me was, as, as the bio says, this simplistic um, way of dealing with challenges. And what I remember vividly, one of the things you said was when you were the attorney general, a very political sort of career, and you, you sort of said, well, I'm not too far left, I'm not too far right, I'm in the middle, and what you care about is truth. And when you right. said that, I was like, I already love this guy. And my question for you is, what's your definition of truth? Well, that's an interesting, that's a great question. So, um, you know, truth and reality itself are uh, a very elusive concept, right? So truth, uh, uh, you would think, is tied to reality, right? What is the reality? What is the truth? Um, so, you know, let's talk about reality for a moment. Um, you know, there are different schools of thought. Um, so uh, guys like uh, Stephen Hawking, uh, who passed away in 2014, and, and Albert Einstein, um, both believed that there was an objective reality, right? That there was a fixed reality, a, a true fixed reality, but they could not um, prove it. And, um, and so Einstein called it his religion because he knew that he could not prove that there was in fact a fixed reality, right? So uh, Niles Bohr and, um, and Werner Heisenberg, uh, they do not believe that there is a fixed reality. Mm -hmm. They believe that um, reality is constantly shifting um, because of the, um, you know, the fact that uh, molecular structure makes up the universe and makes up all of us um, and the shifting nature of, uh, of, of these molecules means that there is no privileged legitimacy to really anything. And, mm -hmm. and so um, it's a shifting concept. And so when you ask me what is truth, right? Um, well, you know, that too may be a shifting concept. So your truth may be different than my truth. Um, so I don't know that I can find an objective truth or an objective reality. All I can find is what I believe to be true mm -hmm. and what I believe to be reality. Mm -hmm. And um, I use critical thinking to try to arrive at uh, what I, I want to be as accurate as possible. I want to um, make decisions. Um, I want to, you know, when I vote for someone, I want to think I'm voting for the right person. When I um, when I get married, I want to think that I'm marrying the right person, right? I want to think that my choices are accurate, um, but they're not always necessarily going to be accurate. Um, but my assessment, my personal assessment of, uh, of these issues, I come at with a um, insatiable curiosity and a very critical and curious mind. 
and I try to arrive at what I believe to be true and what I believe to be reality. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so that's how I approach things. Yeah, I'm, you said bore during that. Is he a Nobel Prize winner? And was that was it the principle of uncertainty? Something like that. You'd probably know more than me. No, um, um, he is a theoretical physicist. Um, and um, um, I'm sure there's a he came up with like a famous principle, which is ultimately what you were saying, where there's no one thing. Pretty much what we distinguish to be true ends up being the truth to us. Right. I don't, I, I, I don't, that's just from my reading. I could be wrong, but yeah. do you, do you, so you've got your truth. I've got my truth. If we see, we don't see eye to eye, then is that, is that where all conflict in the world begins? Well, okay. So think about, think about how we arrive at, um, at, at what we believe, right? So we all have relatively the same hardware right? Give or take, mm -hmm. right? So you have a brain um, that functions much like my brain, right? There may be, you know, varying degrees of differences between our brains, but generally speaking, we both have this set of hardware that mm -hmm. operates generally in the same way. Mm -hmm. But we have very different software, remarkably, diametrically different software, right? So your life experience um, is very different from my life experience, right? So the, you know, where do we get information? Where does the brain get information? It draws information from our five senses, right? So, um, you know, you've been um, living in a, in a different part of the planet and different part of the world. And I've been living in a different part of the world. And uh, we grew up with different siblings or, you know, none at all. And uh, we grew up with different parents. And, uh, you know, the kid who grew up in, in war-torn Syria has a very different life and a very different perspective as a consequence than you do, right? Or that's than, than I do, or that's than someone, uh, you know, who uh, grew up living in a, in a Manhattan penthouse, right? So this is our software, right? And that software is different for everybody right? Even siblings living in the same house have different software, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, your parents may have looked at you. Uh, do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah. Right? So they may have spoken to you differently than they spoke to your siblings. They may have had different interactions with them. They may have looked at them differently. They, uh, your siblings grew up with different preferences, different friends, different tastes in music, in food, in uh, some of them, you know, may have traveled to certain places that you haven't been, and so on. And so even in the same household, um, we have very, very different software. Mm -hmm. And consequently, it should come as no surprise to any of us that we see the world uh, very differently than one another because our brains uh, assess information, you know, so let's say, you know, Donald Trump is on the scene and you're, you know, deciding what kind of a person he is and whether or not you should vote for him. Um, someone may look at that uh, one way and, and another person looks at it in, in a radically different way. Um, and a lot of that has to do with their software. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the part of the difficulty that we have in in working with each other and and cooperating and collaborating um, is that we have these these very different perspectives. Right. So my mind might tell me that, you know, he's a, a, a crass kind of um, you know, not somebody that I am that impressed with in terms of, uh, you know, perhaps his moral character, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I may appreciate some of his uh, business acumen, or, or I may not, right? So I, I form these different opinions based upon my life experience, and they seem real to me. My brain tells me that this is truth, that this is, you know, this is a, an accurate analysis. Um, we, we, we like to believe that we know what we're talking about. We like to believe that our thoughts are accurate and, and that we know the truth, right? But if there is no objective truth, 
or if everyone's perspective causes them to arrive at a different truth for them, right, then perhaps we shouldn't be so wedded to our individual beliefs and perspectives and assume that our individual beliefs and perspectives, however well-informed we may think they are, have some privileged legitimacy. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know what I'm talking about and you don't, right? I mean, where does that come from, right? Um, it, it's, it's certainly not necessarily accurate, right? So, so once you understand that, once you understand that, and once you further understand that in order to arrive at the truth, um, it is important for you to have multiple perspectives. It is important for you to consider um, multiple viewpoints uh, generated by alternative software, right? Then you begin to look at alternative positions and alternative opinions, not as threatening um, to your worldview, um, not as something that you should shun or move away from, but as assets, right? So, so think, think of alternative positions that you don't agree with as an asset that can actually inform your perspective and give you a broader, um, perhaps more accurate overall perspective. When you think of it that way, then you begin to embrace other people and recognize them as adding value to your life. And, and so uh, that's how I think we have to think to overcome some of the conflicts and the mm -hmm. division mm -hmm. that is existing in the world today um, by recognizing that we don't have all the answers, regardless of who we are, right? We have a, a very limited perspective, almost as if we have blinders on, right? Where we see the world through our particular prism, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, how much more enriched would I be, John, if, if I had your prism as well to evaluate every question that came before me? And I could look at it not only through my prism, but through my sister's prism and through your prism and through my parents' prism and through my daughter's prism, right? And now if I could, if I could aggregate that information and then make judgments, they would be much more informed judgments hmm. and they would be much more likely to arrive at the truth. Yeah, I mean, that's wisdom. That's wisdom, right? When you know that what you know is only what you know and what other people know is what they know. And when you do have all of the data, and I like, I think what you said at the end, you used the word judgment. Um, actually, I'll start here. Where are you, what are your spiritual beliefs? And the reason I want to ask that is because I, I find that when we do have this, um, you know, I'm, I've got my, uh, what did you call it? My, my, my programming, my software. And the more we can kind of delete that and come to a space of presence, a, a, a place of oneness, which is like a spiritual concept, a place of non-judgment, of non-attachment, then all of a sudden we're in this, this very, I, I find a very wise state where we can make decisions from a higher level of thinking. So what are your thoughts around spirituality and, and how that links into this? Well, so first of all, um, I appreciate your use of the term spirituality as opposed to religious beliefs, right? Because um, I'm not particularly religious, right? So I don't go to church. Um, I was raised in a Greek Orthodox family, um, but I, um, I'm not a religious man. I am, however, a very spiritual man. Mm -hmm. and, and the difference is that... Um, you know, I don't really believe in organized religion, right? Um, I, I don't believe that I need to go to church to have a connection um, to my own spirituality or to other people on the planet um, or to whatever higher life force may exist, right? Um, that, uh, and, and also, you know, to the extent that there are all these different religions, right? There's Buddhism and there's Hinduism and there's uh, Catholicism and Christianity and there's Islam, right? Well, they're all different, right? So, so they can't all be right, right? They can't all I be- I feel like they all point in the same direction though. They're all different, uh, like dogmatically, but yeah. the concept's the same, right? Well, they, they, they all have a spiritual component. Right. 
And so in that sense, um, they, they don't all really point to the right, to the same direction, but they all um, have certain common threads that, that, that I would call spirituality, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is, you know, um, helping your fellow man, um, doing the right thing, doing unto others, uh, whether it's as you would have them do unto you or do unto others as uh, they would like you to uh, behave, um, is, you know, a respect for other individuals. So I'm, uh, I try to be very non-judgmental, right? So um, I don't want people judging me. So I don't want to judge others, right? Mm -hmm. So who am I? to uh, uh, um, criticize or, or condemn or, or um, pass judgment on your views or your lifestyle or your beliefs, right? Um, you know, I'm not uh, um, some omnipotent being who, you know, can pass judgment on you and you're not some omnipotent being who can pass judgment on me. So, um, my attitude is there are seven and a half billion people in the world, 335 million Americans, right? Um, we all have a, a right to pursue our lives um, as we see fit, um, so long as we're not harming others, right? Um, and, and the choices, the life choices that we make are ours to make. Um, they shouldn't be dictated by my neighbor they shouldn't be dictated by some politician um, who's you know, telling me that uh, um, if I choose to smoke a plant, for example, if I choose to smoke marijuana, you know, who, who's to tell me that I can't do that, right? I don't want government telling me that I can't do that. And I don't want to tell other people that they can't do that. If I have a sexual preference or orientation, um, you know, it's, it's none of my neighbor's business and, and it's none of my business what you're, you know, views in that regard might be. So um, I believe that, that all of those people should have a voice. I believe that they should all be able to express their views. I believe that we should um, listen respectfully to what uh, people have to say, um, view it not as threatening, but as enlightening. Um, and, um, you know, and essentially that we share this planet with one another, it's not mine. It's not yours. It's not even everyone who exists on the planet today. Uh, everyone who exists on the planet today, as far as I'm concerned, holds this planet and its resources in trust for future generations. So it's not about me. It's about us. It's not about you. It's about us. And uh, I think that if you have that mindset, then that's a much more healthy mindset um, for all of us uh, to collaborate and cooperate um, and to advance society. I think that there are opportunities um, in today's society for a second enlightenment. And I think that um, that in part is going to be dependent upon collaboration. And collaboration is, is, is going to depend on communication and mutual respect. And so these are the principles that, that I hold dear. Hmm. And um, so, you know, whether you call that spirituality or whether you call that, um, you know, my worldview or my mindset, um, that's the way I think. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that. And I, I call that, that's what I call truth. That's where I'm like, so I believe there is one truth. And what I mean by that in, in definition is anything that supports more of life. So if, if nature supports itself, you don't need to govern nature. It, it, it and to me, that is truth. So any, Thing that we can do as humans that supports more of life I believe is in alignment with truth and what you just said is fully supportive of people expressing it it's life it's life coming to life within itself and do you think given the mass amounts of polarity with political parties with the news with I want to say and call me a conspiracy theorist with the people that run the world they want that polarity is there an opportunity for us to break through that and and have this world that you just spoke about where it is hey you do you i'll do me we won't um bully judge or beat each other down we'll just be pretty harmonious it's never going to be perfect but it'll be pretty good is there an opportunity for that with the world being run how it's being run yeah so uh 
Well, it's interesting that you make the points that you make about um, the movers and shakers and the lever pullers and uh, how they control sort of uh, our daily lives. And, and I do think that they are um, manufacturing and flaming, uh, fanning the flames of division. Mm-hmm. Um, because a, a, an ignorant and divided public is a public that is much easier to control. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the concerns that I have is that, um, you know, some people may think that um, the world is going to hell in a handbasket, right? And that, um, you know, things are just uh, chaotic, right? You, you see in the news, certainly in America, what's been happening with the George Floyd protests and, and the rioting that's occurred and, and Donald Trump and the storming the Capitol and all these things that are going on. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's very dystopian, right? And so my concern is that when people start to believe that um, when they start to lose hope and a sense of aspiration, then they become survivalists. And it's sort of like, um, I'm gonna take care of me and I'm gonna take care of my family and, and the heck with the rest of it, right? Because I'm just gonna get what I can get uh, and, and get while the getting's good uh, before this whole thing goes to shit, right? <laughs> and, and so I think there's this mentality um, that uh, is, is, you know, a lot of young people that are, um, that are not able to, you know, 50% of the young people that graduate from college in the United States are not able to find jobs that require a college degree. So imagine going to college, uh, taking on all this student debt, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt, and you graduate from college and you get a job at Ann Taylor or at the supermarket or at some other you know, uh, job that does not require a college degree. You could have done that without going to college and you could have done that without accumulating that debt, right? And now you're working in that menial job and you've got all this debt and you're thinking, uh, you know, things are pretty hopeless, right? So uh, my concern is that the more people begin to believe that things are hopeless, the more they will opt for a survival mentality where they don't worry about collaboration and community building and saving the planet. They worry about themselves. And one of the fears that I have is that maybe some people at the top are beginning to believe that, um, that that's the way things are and that uh, they're not going to fix all these problems. And so um, when you, you say know, people perhaps, at the top, did you want to drop a name in there or did you just want no, to leave that open? No, there is no name. It's, okay. it's just, you know, whether it's global leadership, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's uh, in your country or mine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the people that are in power that are, you know, pulling the levers of power. Um, you know, for example, because I've got, I've, uh, there are some things that that I find very puzzling. You know, for example, if they if 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 they were truly in favor of education, for example, if they wanted a more educated and enlightened society, right? Well, we have all the technical tools today. We have the internet, right? I can, I can uh, create a classroom where Bill Gates and Ray Kurzweil are teaching uh, you know, everyone on the planet, right? So why aren't we doing that? Why isn't that happening? Why are there are instead, uh, you know, we, we developed the public education system in the United States after the Industrial, Industrial Revolution. Revolution, right? Mm-hmm. So we had an agrarian society and we moved from an agrarian society to an industrial society in the 1900s, and we created the public education system to, um, you know, to accommodate that and to train uh, this new workforce to migrate from an agrarian society to an industrial society. Well, now we are moving from an industrial society to a technological society. There's a technological revolution that's occurring, right? That will dwarf the industrial revolution, right? Mm-hmm. So why hasn't education changed, right? Why hasn't government got out in front of this? And, and why aren't we, you know, why are we still building large campuses of brick buildings, you know, brick and mortar buildings? And why do we have 150,000 people teaching algebra, right? When we could have, 
you know, the best teachers in the world teaching everybody online, um, just like you and I are interacting online, right? There's so many efficiencies uh, that we could bring to bear on education that we're not that we're not doing. Why are we not doing this, right? Identity theft, right? We have we have it's a huge problem in the United States, right? People stealing other people's identities and going out and taking out credit cards in their name and buying homes in their name and buying cars in their name and ruining their credit and ruining their lives. This is all completely unnecessary. Blockchain technology would allow us all to verify the identity of every individual. And, and so, you know, there's, there would be no identity theft, right? Elections, why are we still lining up in line on a Tuesday in November to vote when we could be, you know, creating a platform that allows massive interaction between the public and the people that are representing them? where I could talk to my public officials online. Um, there could be community forums where my, my uh, leaders could interact with me. I could donate money to them directly. Um, I could have you know, financial disclosure transparency by the minute. I could know when people are contributing to their campaigns and attempting to influence their votes. Um, I could have biography fees about them. I could have uh, all the articles that, that, uh, that reporters are writing about them. I could have commentary from the public about them. I could have them interacting and, and you know, posting not only their CV, but you know, their financial records. Um, all of this information could be at a central platform. All of the candidates could have uh, their activities all on that platform, all lobbying activity. Uh, that occurs could be transparent and in real time. Uh, we could require lobbyists to interact with these candidates only through a transparent platform, only in writing or, or through video. I feel um, like that is, that is coming. Do you not think that is coming? Well, why isn't here? Why isn't it here? I, I, it should be coming. It should be here. Uh, there, the technology exists today. The technology has existed for years. So why isn't why isn't it here today? What's your theory on that? I've got mine. What's where do you, what are your theories? Well, obviously the government uh, doesn't um, you know hasn't put the resources into it. They could do it in in a single year. Um, why aren't they doing it? Um, I don't think they want it. I don't think they want that level of transparency. I don't think you know when 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 lobbyists uh, for you send off a, in in the United States we send off a politician to Washington, a congressman or a senator, and they are surrounded by twenty lobbyists for every member of Congress. So so I send out my fiduciary. He goes to Washington D.C. I don't see him very much, and he's surrounded by twenty people that are paid to try to influence what he's doing, but he's my fiduciary. He works for me, he's my agent, right? He owes a responsibility to me. What's he doing talking to these people? What are they saying to him at these lunches? They're taking him on these junkets. What's going on here? They're hiring him after he leaves office. What's going on here? I, I don't want that, right? So why aren't we controlling that? Well, the only people that, that would control that are the people that are involved in it. Right, so they obviously don't want those controls, right? And how do you see, yes, I agree on all of that. How do you see Bitcoin then affecting this? And the reason I say Bitcoin is because I feel like it's, it's coming from the outside in. You know, they're not gonna make the changes inside out because they don't want to, as we said. But I think we've got blockchain technology and um, you know, that the free thinkers of going, well, that's not working. Let's design our own thing. It's this new paradigm. And I feel like it's going to take on a life of its own and bring in a new paradigm over the next 10 years, let's say. Do you feel that that's the way it's going to go? And we don't have to use Bitcoin as an example, but I just think most people yeah. know so, it. So, so it, I don't want to confuse the listener um, by using the term Bitcoin as opposed, as opposed to blockchain, okay. right? So they're, they're very different, right? Bitcoin is a currency. Blockchain is a uh, technology. A yeah. technology infrastructure, a platform. So, so um, blockchain will change life as we know it. Blockchain um, is very much an answer to everything that we're talking about, right? Much of what we're talking about can be resolved uh, through blockchain, through new initiatives, 
and new uses of blockchain, right? Um, and, and Bitcoin is, is a currency that, that operates on blockchain, on blockchain. So for example, in, um, in, in Nevada, um, we have an initiative called Innovation Zones. And in these Innovation Zones, uh, there's a company called Blockchain LLC that has a coin called Stablecoin. Mm-hmm. And, and what they're doing is they're lobbying the state of Nevada to create these innovation zones where they can go in, they can buy 50,000 acres of land in an unincorporated area that has no utilities or government. And if they buy that 50,000 acres of land and they invest $250 million in infrastructure development, and they invest an additional $1 billion into that community, then they will be given local sovereignty over that community. They will be able to create a blockchain community that is entirely blockchain. And decentralized, as in they don't have to go by the rest of the areas. Autonomous. Yes. Yes. So self-governing, self-governing. So, so uh, in, in Clark County, where I live, there is a Clark County commission and they are elected by the residents of Clark County. In this blockchain LLC community, uh, their commission will not be elected. It will be appointed by blockchain LLC. Mm -hmm. So they will control their government, their local government. Um, So they will make the rules. And the rules that they will make would be, you know, if you want to buy a house, you have to use cryptocurrency. If you want to uh, buy food at the diner, you have to use cryptocurrency. If you want to uh, pay your taxes, it has to be in cryptocurrency, right? Whether it's stablecoin or Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever they choose to uh, uh, make the coin of the realm, uh, they will make the rules. And so, you know, part of why Nevada is doing this is to increase and encourage innovation. Mm. And, and the reason that the guys that are with Blockchain LLC are doing this is they want to prove the model. They want to prove that, that, you know, here is a working city that is operating as a completely blockchain cryptocurrency enabled community, right? And look at how brilliantly it operates, right? So now, we should be doing this all over the country. It mm-hmm. works, right? And if we're doing this all over the country, then uh, guess what that does to the value of their cryptocurrency? Yeah. It increases the value of their cryptocurrency, right? So the more adoption and usage and exchange that occurs with cryptocurrency, the more the value of cryptocurrency increases. So those who are the Bitcoin billionaires have a vested interest in seeing that increased adoption and increased usage and increased exchange, which is why you're seeing an explosion in the NFT market. Mm. That's another example of, you know, where else on the planet is that level of adoption, exchange, um, and usage of cryptocurrency happening? Nowhere to the extent that it's happening in the NFT market today. So the So the Bitcoin billionaires have a, a vested economic interest in in making sure that that uh, ecosystem grows. Mm. So just quickly, with the with this, what's this this little city called? Does it have a name? Um, well, the company behind it is Blockchain LLC, and the coin is Stablecoin. I don't know that they've named their community yet. They haven't broken ground. So it's uh, it's not far enough along, perhaps, for them to have named it. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like, that's what I mean by the inside out approach. I feel like this new technology, this new paradigm is being built from the innovators and it's going to, over the years, replace the current government yeah. system. It will. It will. And, and, and Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies will replace fiat currency mm-hmm. eventually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Bitcoin. And I'm sure people feel threatened by that. I'm sure that, you know, uh, the U.S. dollar has been, you know, the, the uh, uh, dominant currency, fiat currency for decades or uh, um, as long as I've been alive. And, um, and there is a changing of the guard that is uh, seemingly an- eminent. 
Mm -hmm. um, it may not happen in the next, you know, five or 10 years, but, or it may, um, but it's coming. It's yeah. coming. And do you think that on a global scale, um, the sort of reserve currency will maybe go to China or do you think it will go to the crypto space? I think it'll go to the crypto space and, and it may not be Bitcoin. It may be a coin that doesn't yet exist that has greater utility than Ethereum, mm -hmm. right? Um, I mean, Ethereum, you can attach smart contracts to the currency. You can't do that with Bitcoin. It's actually a superior uh, form of currency, in my opinion. Bitcoin's um, not really a currency. It's more of a store of value. I think no. Bitcoin's going to become the gold of the future, and then that will be the store. That's what they say. That's mm. what they say. So yeah, whether it's a store of value or, or a currency, um, I don't know how it really, um, you know, I guess the, the, the $20 million uh, minting uh, limitation um, could arguably be what makes it a store of value as distinguished from something like Ethereum. Um, and so, yeah, it may be uh, more of a store of value than an actual trading currency. Um, but it's, yeah. you know, it's got the features of both. Yeah. I think the market cap, one thing, the early adoption <laughs> is this, the second thing. And it's, it's the most decentralized as in nobody behind it really has an agenda as opposed to Ethereum still has a little bit of like, there's a company that's, that's, that's building and upgrading the Ethereum network, right? Yeah. Although, um, uh, you know, Bitcoin is less decentralized than it appears. I mean, the Winklevosses own uh, large quantities. Um, Tim Draper owns a large quantity. There are Bitcoin billionaires um, that have large stashes of Bitcoin. Um, so yes, it's capped at 21 million, um, but there are market makers uh, that exist in, in that space. So yes, it's decentralized, but not as decentralized or, or dispersed as, as one might like. Mm. Isn't it completely decentralized because nobody really controls the technology that's set up and it's done, but I agree. It's definitely not dispersed <laughs> yeah, anywhere well, close to. So, so, so in a technical sense, it's decentralized. Um, but when you have some, when you have a small handful of people, that control um, vast quantities of that currency, um, then, you know, decentralized suggests sort of a um, democratization uh, kind of element. And um, it's just important to remember that there are market makers in the Bitcoin mm -hmm. arena. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like we all own a coin, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so with, with the, the future of this blockchain, and you said the amount of people that are getting their degrees through universities and things like that, we're, we've got technology in one part taking over jobs, and then we've got people that already can't get a job. How does that play out over the next 10 years? Yeah, so you're going to see massive economic disruption through automation, right? So... Today, the number one job for an American male is truck driver, believe it or not. There are 3 million of them. Um, there are 3.9 million uh, male and female uh, Uber drivers, right? Um, there are, um, well, Chrysler Dahmer has been doing cross-country trips with driverless semis since uh, 2018. So, um, you know, those jobs uh, eventually are going to be gone. Uh, you will have self-driving vehicles that will eliminate um, all of those jobs. And uh, fast food workers, there are 8 million of them in the United States. Um, those jobs eventually will be automated. Um, one of the companies that I'm chairman of, uh, we are currently in discussions with a company, a robotics company, um, to, um, so we have a wing franchise, right? And um, those wings uh, can be uh, made by, uh, you know, pulled out of the freezer and dropped in the deep, deep fryer and then put into the sauce and then mixed and then put into a box and then delivered to the consumer. You know, a human being can do that or a robot can do that, right? 
So um, McKinsey and company uh, had indicated that something like 47% of all jobs in the United States um, are currently susceptible to automation based on existing technology, right? Existing technology. As, to, as technology evolves and robots become uh, more uh, uh, dex, you know, have greater dexterity um, and have greater uh, cameras um, then the, and greater you know, mobility um, and, and uh, ability to act like a human, um, then you know, it will threaten other jobs. So for example, Amazon. Amazon employs all these people in its warehouse and uh, they're package sorters, right? So they get a big bin full of items and they, they pull the items out of these and they shove them into different packages, right? Well, um, there, up until you know, several months ago, there was not a robot that could do that at the speed and at the level of accuracy of a human being. A company called Convariant has developed a robot that can perform at a, uh, um, it has, uh, its cameras are able to recognize uh, all the different um, barcodes and reflective properties of the packaging and distinguish uh, which objects uh, they need to sort and then have the dexterity to operate and do this at a speed uh, that would put a Amazon employee into the bonus category. And uh, they can do it with 99% accuracy. So they can do it uh, more accurately than most uh, any of the employees and they can do it faster than most any of the employees. Um, so what kind of factories do you think Amazon is going to be building in the future? Are they going to be building factories that have corridors that are big enough for you know, human beings to walk down with carts? Or are they going to be uh, building factories that have smaller whole uh, corridors that their robots uh, can go down mm. and perform these functions, right? Mm. So anything, if you look at human nature and you look at, at, at the economics of business generally, anything that can be automated will be automated with certain exceptions. You know, mm. there will be um, a need for customer service in certain areas and and so those things can be automated but perhaps some of them won't be automated right mm -hmm. but but there's going to be massive automation mm -hmm. and massive economic disruption and significant unemployment as a consequence and so in the united states we're talking about a universal basic income andrew yang when he was running for president talked about a universal basic income the idea of giving every human being every you know citizen in the united states a thousand dollars a month or $1,000 a week or whatever the number is, is something that would have been thought of as inconceivable 10 years ago, right? Yet today, it's being discussed by a presidential contender, right? So, um, you know, Elon Musk talks about it, uh, Bezos talks about it, others talk about it. So eventually, um, we're going to see massive uh, unemployment and we're going to have to do something to deal with those people who are unemployed. Um, what are we going to do with them, right? Well, um, this is where education and training and retraining, uh, and some say, well, there will be all these new jobs that will be created by technology, and these people will move into these new jobs. Well, not if there's not a training mechanism to train them for those new jobs, right? So we need to get out ahead of this curve. And, and we need to be thinking about these things and we need to be creating solutions for these things. And this is what our politicians should be doing. And, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, they're not doing it at the speed with which they should be doing it. Mm. Is that because you can't teach an old dog new tricks and they don't understand it and they're a bit scared of it, maybe intimidated by it because it is new to them? Or is it I can't think of any other options. Why are they not doing it? Is it, I mean- There are other options. It's all of the above. So, so yeah, they're scared of it. Yeah, they may not fully understand it. Um, yeah, there are, are incumbent players. Uh, you know, for example, um, you might have unions, right? Uh, that, that are influencing a political party, right? You may have lawyers that are influencing a political party. 
you may have corporate special interests that are influencing these political parties. And, and all of them, um, you know, want things a certain way. And so um, maybe it's not the way you and I want it, right? Maybe they're, we're not all on the same page. And, and so I don't think it's just, uh, you know, um, benign neglect or ignorance or uh, lack of understanding. Um, I, don't th I, don't, uh, I don't accept that those are the excuses. I think that there are other things that are getting in the way. Agendas. Um, yeah, lobbyists, agendas, constituencies. Um, and, you know, you look at education, for example, right? So you have teachers unions, right? Teachers unions, you know, want their jobs. They want their jobs and they want pay. They want higher pay and higher benefits, right? Well, well, what is education about? Is it about teachers or is it about children, right? I mean, why do we have a public education system? Am I, am I through my tax dollars supporting a public education system to keep teachers employed? Because that's not what I thought I was contributing to. I thought I was contributing to uh, getting children educated, mm -hmm. right? But uh, you know, if you tell me that, that uh, instead I'm paying my tax dollars to employ teachers, right? I may have a very different view about uh, how much I wanna contribute to that, mm -hmm. right? So there are all sorts of political considerations that go into these things. And it's not all about just, you know, what's the right thing to do and what's the most efficient thing to do and what's the most logical thing to do. Um, my God, if, that were, if that's all there was to it, uh, the world would look very different than it does today, mm. right? So there are a lot of special interest influences that, uh, you know, the teachers union, for example, is there. Uh, they have their lobbyists in Washington. Um, they can get out the vote. If you're a candidate and, uh, and you're running for office um, and they're telling you, hey, I can mobilize, you know, millions of people to vote for your party or your candidate, then you're probably going to care about what I have to say, right? Even if it uh, is at the expense of the children who are attending these schools. So, George, the future, as we've kind, we've kind of set, I feel like, the foundation for the future and where it's going. We've got these blockchains. We've got people becoming unemployed. We've got uh, political agendas. It's all a bit, it's all a bit chaotic. Your book, I, I mean, I haven't read the book, and, and you know, we've only been connected for the last week or so. Um, millennial samurai like skills for the 21st century yeah does this help people deal with what we've just talked about immensely so tell can we have some insights like tell me a little bit like what share share with us what we can do yeah so 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 essentially essentially what i've done is um you know i have a daughter and i have nephews and nieces right and um and at some point i'm going to pass away and I'm not going to be here to advise and guide them. So I write books for my family to, um, to inform them what they need to know and what they need to do. And these books are available to anyone. So Millennial Samurai, um, I am giving away the digital version of Millennial Samurai for free. So you can go to millennialsamurai.com. I'm giving away a million free copies and uh, 13,000 people have already downloaded the book. And I hope many, many more will download the book. Um, and, and so let me tell you a little bit about what Millennial Samurai is. So first of all, it's a mindset. It's, it's how to think about um, the life that's in front of you and, and how to surf a tsunami of technological change and how to dance with machines, right? How to survive and thrive in a rapidly and radically changing environment. So if, if I were to drop you off, John, in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, I would give you, and I were, had the opportunity to give you a duffel bag, right? We can both think about the things that I would put in that duffel bag, right? Mm -hmm. I'd put water, I'd put a compass, I might put something to light fires with, I might put cutting instruments, you know, there are all sorts of things that I would put in that duffel bag, right, for your survival. If I'm going to drop my daughter off and pass away and, and she's gonna be on, you know, in the middle of the 21st century and need guidance and direction, 
There's her duffel bag, okay? Millennial Samurai, that's her duffel bag, okay? So what is it, right? Well, it's broken down into, so it's me taking a look at the future, doing a deep dive on what is going to happen over the next 30 years, right? So for the last five years, I've researched what is going to happen over the next 30 years. And I talk about it in Millennial Samurai. So Millennial Samurai is broken down into 182 chapters that are only one to three pages each. So they're very, very short for the short attention span reader that we've all become, right? We want our information quickly. We want you to get to the point. We just wanna know the facts, right? We just wanna know what we need to know, right? So there are things that you need to know about blockchain technology. There are things that you need to know about concepts like longevity escape velocity or asteroid mining that you know nothing about perhaps today or, or your listeners know nothing about today. But you, you're going to wanna know um, because you know, let's take asteroid mining for today, for, for, for an example. I read right? yesterday that there's an asteroid with a, with a massive diamond in it. The size, like if it gets mined, then diamonds are pretty much gonna be abundant. Yeah, so, so there's a company called Planetary Resources that has been formed by Larry Page and Eric Schmidt of Google. Um, so, you know, that's a pretty good indicator if these guys are into something, right? Maybe it's something we ought to pay attention to, right? They've identified an asteroid called Davida, right? They've identified actually 5,000 asteroids that are mineable, okay, uh, within our solar system, right? And one of them is, is an asteroid called Davida. Um, and they believe that Davida has over $100 trillion worth of precious metals, right? So the US GDP is about 20 trillion. The global GDP is about 80 trillion. Here is a single asteroid of which there are thousands of them that contains $100 trillion worth of precious metals. Now, the interesting thing is that the precious metals are not the most valuable thing about this asteroid. What's most valuable about the asteroid is that it contains water. So all of NASA's 135 space flights have been fueled by oxygen and hydrogen, right? So if you have water, you can make rocket fuel. Now today, for a rocket ship to take uh, rocket fuel up in its payload, it, in order to carry one ton of rocket fuel outside of Earth's gravity, it requires 10, it requires that you burn 10 tons of rocket fuel to take up one ton, right? So you can't take up enough rocket fuel to allow outer space colonization to Mars and to Jupiter and to beyond, right? You have to have a gas station outside of Earth's gravity and the gas stations will be these asteroids, mm -hmm. okay? So they will enable outer space colonization, which is the true immense value of these asteroids. Now, if you knew about this, you now know about this, right? So let's say planetary resources, um, one day goes public, right? Well, you'd probably, now that you know, you know what planetary resources is about, you'd probably wanna buy stock in that company, right? So, so me telling you about these things in this book uh, puts you in the information flow and information is power, right? So the more information you have, the more able you are to take advantage of situations that people who lack that information are not able to take advantage of, right? Um, so 3D printing, cloud computing, longevity escape velocity, all of these things, the internet of things, these are all things, um, NFTs, these are all things that you need to know about, right? So um, I wrote this book in 2019. So I wrote it, uh, um, last year, essentially. Um, and uh, NFTs were not a big thing. So mm -hmm. I didn't talk about NFTs at, at the time because they hadn't exploded and, and it wasn't the kind of phenomenon that it is today. Mm -hmm. But I did talk about all of these other issues, mm -hmm. right? So 
182 chapters, one to three pages each. It's going to give you a level of knowledge that will put you ahead of 99% of the global population, right? If you read that book, you are going to know things that 99% of the people don't know. How do I know that? Because I was a really, you know, a pretty well-read guy before I read, wrote the book. But what happened to me was, was when I decided to look at the future, it's not something that I had ever done, right? So I had spent my, my entire life solving complex problems for high net worth individuals, governors and billionaires, right? But I had not looked at the future. Nobody had ever paid me to look at the future. I began looking at the future to prepare my daughter for her future because I had a heart attack and I thought I was going to die. So I- Is that, that a you, you really had a heart attack? Oh yeah, in 2012, I had a heart attack and I thought I was gonna die. So the first thing I did was I began to, you know, I put my affairs in order and I started to write a, a letter to my daughter. And in that letter, because I like to write, I, I just kept writing and I was at over a hundred pages and I looked down and I said, you know, this is not a letter, this is a book. And I said, great idea, I'll just write a book and I'll leave it to my daughter. So that was my first book. That was Seize Your Destiny, A Roadmap to Success. And what I had done in that book, my intention, was to download my knowledge into a book, mm -hmm. right? What had I learned over my lifetime that I wanted to pass along as, a, as an asset to my daughter? Mm -hmm. And so once I did that, um, I realized I had accomplished my, what I set out to do. I found that I really enjoyed the process. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed doing the research and, and writing. And, and uh, that book actually didn't even require a lot of research because it was my own life experience. But, but I enjoyed the process of, of writing and publishing that book. And then I realized, you know what? What I've told her is about the world that I lived in for the past 30 years. What had been the keys to my success over the prior 30 years in the world that I had lived in? And I, and I realized that the world that she was gonna live in was over the next 30 years. And it was a very different world than the world that I had lived in. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, to really advise her, I need to look at the future. I need to figure out what the next 30 years is gonna be like. And I need to put that into a book and I need to leave her that. That book is Millennial Samurai, a mindset for the 21st century. So that's what motivate, motivated me to write the book. Um, that's why I'm giving away a million free cop free digital copies. I didn't do it to make money. I did it to empower other people, my family first, and then other people. And um, so that's what it's about. And and these are the these are the 182 things that I think are most important for people to know about. Right. So it's not just about um, you know what's going to happen in the future. It's also about key concepts, right? That are important to a happy, successful, and meaningful life, right? So I talk about critical thinking. I talk about controlling your thoughts, setting clear intentions, believing in yourself, thinking for yourself, opening your mind, the power of intuition, seeking the truth, attitude, empathy, gratitude, optimism, hope, passion, life isn't fair, character, courage, commitment, compassion, authenticity, choice, curiosity, collaboration, adaptation, intensity, consumerism, health, money, um, happiness, um, perspective, perception, tribalism, group think, cognitive dissonance, motivated reasoning, manipulation, Milgram's obedience study, delusion and entitlement, the Dunning-Kruger effect, lifelong learning, neuroplasticity. So, it's about all of these issues, you know, relationships, lifelong relationships, friends. Do you criticism. go into like, do you go into the technologies that are that are here, like the blockchain stuff, or is it oh, more yeah, about yeah. the person? Yeah, then, I, yeah then, then I get into issues that matter: public corruption, corruption, economic inequality, student debt, modern monetary theory, social media, racism, incarceration, global warming, all of that, and then I talk about artificial intelligence, the singularity, space travel, the wisdom of crowds, glass information storage, asteroid mining, genomics, antibiotic resistant superbugs, cybersecurity, the future of war, other worlds, the merger of man and machine, reading my mind, archiving your mind, augmented reality, 
blockchain technology, miniaturized computers, 3D printing, the internet of things, invisible checkout, medical breakthroughs, longevity escape philosophy, perfect capitalism, uh, the future of food, uh, Im the immortality drive, flying taxis. Um, you know, I talk about all of everything. these, everything. So it's basically, it's, it's everything that a well-rounded, successful person needs to know mm -hmm. to become a millennial samurai, which mm -hmm. is a leader of the future of our planet, right? So those who will become, so, so millennials, the millennial generation, regardless of what you think of the millennial generation, they will be at the tip of the spear as humanity encounters the 21st century. So people like me, I'm 62 years old, I'm going to become older, I'm going to become more of a liability than an asset. Um, I'm, I'm not the guy who's gonna change the world, right? You're the guy, James Whitaker is the guy. You young people are going to be the people that will change the world. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to educate you. I'm trying to download whatever knowledge I have to offer that's my gift to you. That's my legacy that I want to leave, that I will have changed some lives, that I will have empowered some other human beings, and that I will have created hopefully a movement and a class of millennial samurai who will go out and meet tomorrow's challenges um, with optimism and with skill and with courage and with character and with commitment um, and with the information that they need to succeed and to lead and to help others. That's what I'm doing with my life. That's my legacy at 62 years old. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> That's freaking awesome. And I usually wrap up by asking people about what legacy they want to leave. And you just, you've got 182 chap chapters of legacy. Um, that... and, this is, and this is book one. <laughs> so is, is, book... is there more coming? Oh yeah, there's more coming, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm involved in all sorts of things. I'm doing different things. I'm, 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 you know, I, I've got a program called Limitless. You can go to limitlessthinking.com. I'm building an empowerment community. Um, I'm, I'm diving deep on the whole NFT thing right now because I'm also an artist. Um, and so I'm, I'm very drawn to uh, the NFT phenomenon. So I'm doing a lot of things, but you know, hopefully before I die, there will be a book two and maybe a book three. That's awesome. And George, whereabouts can people, you've mentioned where they can get your book. Where, where would you, anybody that's like, hey, I love this guy. I want to dive deeper. Where, where can they find you? Where can we send them? Okay. So they, they need to go to George, georgejchanos.com. Georgejchanos.com. And, uh, and that'll, you know, give you the ability to connect with me. It'll tell you everything that I'm doing. Um, and, um, you know, you'll be able to learn more about me. You'll be able to download lots of resources. I've also written many articles, you know, on, uh, you know, are we in a cold war with China? Um, you know, what, what happened with the uh, George Floyd protests in the United States? All of these things that, that uh, uh, came after my publication of the book, I write about on Medium, mm -hmm. and uh, you can go to Medium. You can look for George J. Chena, so you can go to my website, and you can download articles that I've written on more current topics that are happening today. Mm -hmm. I'm on the website now. I've got it open in front of me, and you can also download the free digital download for Millennial Samurai as well. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Awesome. 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 Well, George, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Um, and Thank you. It's honestly, it's been a pleasure. And I love, I love, I love extracting information and wisdom from people who live and breathe uh, like growth and progress and truth and truth. Right. So yeah. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. And uh, just a quick shout out to some of my friends in Australia. So James Whitaker, who made the connection between the two of us, uh, just such a wonderful guy. Um, and then, uh, 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 um, Sarah Javans, um, who's on Instagram and has quite a following on Instagram, uh, has been very gracious. She did, uh, she did some posts about Millennial Samurai and is very excited about it. And then uh, Michael Lauria 
Um, I'm going to be interviewed by him uh, later this week. Uh, um, I don't know him, uh, but he's reached out um, and uh, asked to interview me. So I'm going to be interviewing with him. So I'd just like to say hello to all of those people and to everyone in Australia. Um, you're a beautiful country and a beautiful people, and I can't wait to visit. I have not been, but I will be coming. I will be coming. Australia awaits you with open arms. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank thank you, you so much again, George. Um, and to everybody that's been listening or watching live, the replay, the recording, please, if you've enjoyed the episode, uh, like, share it with other people that might be curious about this type of thing leave a review do all the good stuff it really helps us keep doing what we're doing and bringing you more incredible listeners and content thank you